All right, friends, if you can grab a seat. It is great to see you here uh, this afternoon. Thanks for joining us for our reunion service. Uh, you know, if, if it wasn't clear from when you came in, uh, this is now the third time in its history where Coastline is mask optional. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you are still uh, uncomfortable with that, man, no problem at all. Feel free to wear your mask, or if you are really concerned, the loft is available. That is a mask-mandated spot up there, so if you're more comfortable up there. But really, if you think about a coastline, uh, if we kind of sometimes we talk about planting churches, sometimes we talk about like birthing churches, uh, coastline was that unexpected pregnancy. Uh, nobody really expected coastline to exist until suddenly it was happening. And uh, we started right in the middle of the pandemic, uh, right really in January of 2021. And uh, man, from the very first moment we met, we were outdoors and in masks. Uh, we got two weeks we were out of masks in June of 2021 before we had to go right back in. And so today is totally different for us. We've never really been in the spot. In fact, I don't know who many of you are anymore. Uh, and so if you would just do this, I'd be able to tell who you are a little bit easier. Uh, but it has been a season where we have been when you think about it, we came together during the first wave, and then we kind of gained some momentum there, and then Delta came, we scattered, and then we kind of built some momentum through the fall, and then Omicron hit, and we scattered. And so we really thought now that Omicron's kind of waning, and uh, we have less and less cases of it, and it's less severe. Uh, and now that we actually are in a spot where we can go mask optional, we just thought this is a great week for us to kind of draw us back together to kind of focus ourselves on being connected back to the church again and to celebrate really the great thing that it is, is to get together and come and gather and be the body of Christ. Uh, online church has been great. Man, I cannot imagine where we would have been if we had gone through the pandemic and we didn't have easy streaming. I mean, we did services on our cell phones uh, in the very early days. I can't imagine where we would have been without that kind of technology and yet, I think every one of us could admit that doing church at home isn't uh, as great as doing it in person. I can tell you, in my house, whenever we'd watch church online, I would be the only one singing. Nobody else would sing. Nobody would participate. Uh, we would watch the sermon, uh, but I have to tell you that most of my kids would rather be on their phone than actually watch the screen. And when you did communion, it was hard not to feel like it was just silly what you're doing, watching a TV screen and kind of cueing yourself with it. We were grateful for it, and I thought God was in it, and yet it was never quite like actually being together. The way I always thought about it was online church was kind of like if you ever got a, got a flat tire and you needed to put on that tiny donut tire, to kind of go on there like, you're grateful you had it. It allowed you to drive, but you couldn't really go more than 25 miles an hour with it. It never really felt like it was a real tire. And part of that is it really comes down to that the church isn't meant to be a show. This isn't some sort of performance that we do that you get to watch. This isn't some sort of uh, concert that you come to each and every week. The church truly, at its core nature, what it's meant to be is that it's meant to be a family. 
You see, you and I, we live with God as our heavenly father and Jesus as our eldest brother. And you and I have been brought into God's family through Jesus' work upon the cross. And that is not a symbolic metaphor. That is the truest thing about you once you become a Christian is that you become a part of God's household. And that makes you and I truly brothers and sisters. And so for some of us, that internet thing, it worked, but there is nothing like being together like this. And for so many of us, for a very long time, we've been orphaned from our families. And now that we find COVID changing, we're finally able to come together and to be that family again. And so we truly are celebrating. And let's just be honest, uh, people, I had somebody say, promise me that we're never going back into masks again. And I cannot promise you that, only because who knows what tomorrow has for us. We truly do not know. We are grateful for where we are. We're grateful for this new era we are in. And so today is part about celebrating what God has done. But it's also about getting us ready for what is coming next, for this next kind of era of Coastline. Because given all the challenges that we face, being gathered and scattered, gathered and scattered, gathered and scattered, look at what we have here. We have the makings of a beautiful church. We have the start of something special. We have the beginnings of a church family, and we could not be more joyous about that. And that's really worth celebrating. That's really worth coming and celebrating what God has done amidst the many challenges. Look, in scriptures, uh, celebration was a hugely important thing. It is something that organized the entire Old Testament Jewish life. They would come together and celebrate the giving of the Torah. They would celebrate the Passover. They would celebrate God's provision through them through the wilderness. Their lives were marked by celebrations because it helped them remember what God had done. And, And the New Testament is the same way. We have Easter and we have Good Friday. We have Holy Week. We have Monday, Thursday, all which are upcoming. And these two are ways that we kind of organize our lives so that we could remember the things that God has done. Because ultimately, we really believe that remembering God's faithfulness in the past it really helps us to remain faithful in the present. Let me say that again. Celebrating and remembering God's faithfulness in the past, it helps us to be more faithful in the present. The reason why is because when we remember God's faithfulness in the past, we remember all of those moments where we had so much doubt, where we had no idea what God was doing. We couldn't find his spirit or his presence every, anywhere. It felt like the fingerprints of God had kind of evaporated from our lives. We didn't know what to do or how God was going to move. And yet God showed his faithfulness to us. And he got us through that and he showed himself to be great at the end of it. We began to see how God is able to turn all things for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And since we remember that about the past, it helps us prepare for the future when we don't know what God is doing right now. And so today is worth pausing and remembering Coastline's rocky start and the fact that we're here and what God has done so far. You know, what I really want to do today is to do a very short sermon because I want us to get out on the patio. I think our relationships are the real focus today. It's the highlight. It's where I want our attention at. What I want to do today is to show us that this whole thing of the Christian life, that it cannot be done in isolation. That, in fact, if we're going to actually grow and mature in Jesus, it's not going to happen alone. It has to happen in close contact with people. It has to happen within the family of God. That the sort of work that God really wants to do to you and in you and through you is usually going to happen alongside of people in your life. And they're going to be a part of it. 
It won't be you by yourself. It'll be a group of people in it with you together. And so with that, we're going to take a break from the book of Acts, and we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 today. We're going to go to Hebrews 10, verse 19. And if you'd stand with me, I'll read this, the text for today. We'll put it on the side screens. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word for us today. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, Lord we have faced so many challenges uh, as a country uh, as a state, Lord, as the city of Los Angeles, as coastline, Lord, we've experienced challenges all along the way. And we thank you, Lord, for your faithful care through every step of it. And Lord, since we've seen how faithful you have been to us, Lord, today we want to ask that you'd be faithful to others. Lord, specifically, we pray for the people of Ukraine, that God, today you'd show your goodness to them. Lord, they are the largest Christian nation in Europe. Uh, and in a sense, if this had to happen to anyone, I'm glad it is them. Uh, and Lord, I want to ask in this time that you would truly listen to their prayers, that you would be on their side. Uh, God, it is very rare in our world these days where good and evil are so clear. Uh, and Lord, today uh, we see it. And so Lord, we ask that you would frustrate the attacks of the Russians, that you would confuse their communications, that God, you would stand in the way of their weaponry, and that God, you would cause peace to reign, protect the Ukrainians, and Lord, would you fight on their behalf. Lord, we know that you have done this for us. We ask that you do it for them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So the book of Hebrews, uh, as you can tell by its title, it is written to Jewish Christians. Uh, most likely it is written to Jewish Christians who are living in Jerusalem or Rome. Uh, maybe both of them, we're not exactly sure, but it's probably going to one of those population sites where there were a lot of Jewish people living. Uh, becoming a Jewish Christian meant that you were instantly alienated from the two most powerful groups in your life. The first one was the Jewish community who did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so as you put your faith in him, it puts you out of the Jewish community. And it also puts you out on the outs of the Roman government who definitely wanted you to worship the Roman emperor as God and king. And as you refused to do that, you became an enemy of them as well. So if you were a Jew and a Christian who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, you really faced a lot of persecution, difficult times, and there was a strong pull back. Back to what was, back to leaving Jesus behind and going back to a life that was simpler and honestly a lot easier. And so the book of Hebrews is written to people who are asking the question, is Jesus truly worth it? Is it worth this? Is it worth this kind of suffering? And the book of Hebrews is a very systematic argument that Jesus is in fact worth it. In Hebrews 1, uh, the argument goes that Jesus is greater than any angel that you could ever see or witness. In Hebrews 3, he says that Jesus is greater than Moses. In Hebrews 5, he says that Jesus is greater than any former high priest or even Melchizedek. And in Hebrews 8, he argues that the new covenant that we have in Jesus is greater 
than the old covenant that was there for them in Torah law and God's faithfulness. Basically, his argument is that any good thing that you have ever experienced from your Jewish heritage is found in fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And that's true for you and I as well. Whatever good you have ever experienced in your life, Jesus is better. That is the argument of the book of Hebrews. And he's going to take a jump even deeper in that today into Hebrews 10. And he's going to start to focus on the unique relationship between God and man. He begins by focusing first on what they had, by talking about the temple. Now, the temple was the place where Jewish people went and met with God. It was there that in the temple there were these kind of concentric circles where people could come and get closer access to God. If you were a Jew, you could get within the gates. If you were a man, you could get one gate further. If you were a priest, you could get inside the building until eventually there was one spot in the temple called the Holy of Holies where God's actual presence dwelled and it was there that one priest could enter once a year to offer sacrifice. And so it was a place where God lived, but it was also a place with very firm, very rigid boundaries. I've talked about this a lot in the past. To violate these boundaries, to go one court further, to go past the gate that you were allowed to go meant that you were risking your own life and you would be killed if anybody realized what you were doing. And so this was a place to come and connect with God, but it was also a place of boundaries from God. And so in the book of Hebrews, he reminds them about the temple, but then he tells them that there's a better temple that they have now in Jesus Christ. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the room where God actually dwells, by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. He is not talking about the temple that is in Jerusalem right now. What he's saying is that there is a temple that is in heaven where God dwells, and we have access into the heavenly temple, not the earthly one. We now have access into the very presence of God. You see, there's this idea in the scriptures that that temple, the one that we have in the Old Testament, The reason why we have these passages where they tell them it has to be 20 cubits by 100 cubits by 50 cubits is because it is meant to be an exact replica of what is in heaven. It's what he's saying to them is that although you are leaving kind of your Jewish roots and although you are now losing connection to the temple, you're no longer just, you're not losing your connection to God. He's saying because you have access to the true temple, the one that the earthly temple is trying to be, you can now go into the very presence of God that you might be rejected here on earth, but you are welcomed in heaven. You can now, he says in verse 19, enter the most holy place with confidence. Not worried about boundaries, not worried about gates, not worried about guards with spears that now we can go into the temple in heaven and go so confidently. And what he tells them is that when they go to this heavenly temple, they so are also met by a heavenly priest. Now, the earthly priest in Jerusalem, it was his job to take whatever offering you had, to slaughter it, to put its blood on the altar, and in doing so, remove your sins from you and put it onto this animal so that you could go clean. 
Now, if you are a Jew who has come to believe in Jesus, you not only are losing contact to the temple, but you're also losing a chance to actually have your sins removed. But what he says is there is now a new high priest that you have in this temple, and it is Jesus Christ. And he says that this high priest has removed your sins forever. And he says that now since Jesus has been our great high priest and since he has offered the last sacrifice, he says that we can have the full assurance that we are welcome before God and that we could know that our bodies have been washed, he says, and that our hearts have been sprinkled, meaning that the very guilt of it has been removed and that we could now come directly to God. In a way, he's saying, you used to walk on eggshells around God, but now you can run and jump into your heavenly Father's arms. This is the picture that, although they have this profound sense of loss, the temple and the priestly system, he says, what you have is, in fact, what everybody has always longed for. You now have the real thing, not the imitation. And so his argument is can't you see that what you have now in Jesus is better? That you have a better temple and that you have a better priest. And if you have a better temple and if you have a better priest, his command is draw near to God. Go and run to him. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't hesitate at all. Since God has opened up a way into the heavens, go find him. Go to him. Go access him. Go and stand in God's presence and enter into the heavens. But there is one catch in the passage, and it's this. They were always meant to go together. They were not meant to just simply go into God's presence alone. They were meant to go together. I'm going to put Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 25 back on the screen. But what I've done in this passage is I've highlighted every pronoun that is plural or any sort of word that would connect you to kind of the group of people that is there. And so us, we, are is bold, and what we're going to do is we're, I'm going to read this, and when we hit a bold word, you've got to say it. Okay, we've been practicing this in communion, kind of liturgical reading, so nobody's allowed to do it poorly because we've been trying this. So I'll read, and when there's something in bold, you say that aloud. Therefore, since have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us. through a curtain, that is his body, and since have a great priest over the house of God, let us. draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. from a guilty conscience and having bodies washed with pure water. Let hold unswervingly to the hope profess. For he who promises faithful and let consider how it may spur on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging and all the more as you see the day approaching. Can you get the sense of kind of what the passage is about? That you and I are meant to live out our faith together. We are meant to go to God together. We are meant 
to grow together. That this entire Christian life, which so often is isolated into my personal quiet times, is actually meant to be far more corporate than you and I oftentimes think that it is. That this thing that's happening here, this moment of connection from us, is exactly what God intended. In fact, the final picture that God has of the way that the whole story ends in the Bible comes out of Revelation 21.3, where we're told that now God's dwelling place is amongst his people. God lives amongst his people. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't pray or you shouldn't pray or that your sort of private time with God isn't good, but in the eyes of Scripture, this is better. This is important, and this is what God has, has created us for. So why do we go together? It's here in the text. Number one, so we can hold unswervingly to hope. So that you and I can hold unswervingly to hope. Now, he is writing to people who are suffering, who are isolated from their families, isolated from their Jewish community, and they're beginning to feel hopeless. One of the things I truly believe is that you and I are oftentimes hopeless when we are friendless. One another towards that kind of love. The word it uses is spur, but it's actually in the Greek the word provoke, but the picture of spur is great too. That you and I are meant to be cowboys, with these kind of spikes on our heels, nudging one another on towards loving and encouraging more deeply. And really when you think about it, loving and encouraging one another are things that can only happen in community. You can't love alone. And you can't encourage by yourself. Love is meant to be given to someone or to be received from somebody. And encouragement always needs someone to give it to or to receive it from. And so scripture says, encourage one another, provoke, spur one another on towards love. This community, the only way it makes an impact for the kingdom is if inside of it we are provoking and encouraging one another towards love. The big problem is this is that we tend to drift away from each other, not towards one another. Look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Isn't it ironic that here in the first generation church, even they have a problem in attendance. Even they find that it's easier to flake out and to stay home. Even they find that some days the day is too beautiful or that we are too tired or work is too much tomorrow, or there's a family commitment, even they felt the same pulls away from church that you and I felt. Now, I, I think it's kind of interesting to ask the question, what were the issues that they faced that were pulling them away from church? Uh, there is a hint in the text, and I should say it's a hint, and this is guessing a little bit, but I think there's substance to it. The word that it uses to describe, let us not give up meeting together, they use the word synagogus, which is the Greek word for synagogue, for the Jewish meeting place. So it uses the word ex synagogus. So it says, let us not stop synagoguing together. And so the thought was these Jewish Christians are trying to live in the tension between being Jewish and being Christian, and they don't know exactly how to do it. And so what they're trying to do is to attend the synagogue in the morning and attend the church later on. And what they're finding is that they just don't have enough energy later on in the day for church because they've already been to synagogue. So he's saying, essentially, it's not that they're doing bad things, it's that they're doing good things. 
It's just a matter of fact that in the midst of doing good things, they're losing out on the most important things. That the synagogue had been a part of their identity of who they had been, but the church was their identity of who they were now and who they would be forever. Part of this new nation, this new body, this new kingdom formed in Jesus. And they were losing track of that because they were pursuing other things that were good. Look, how many times have you and I together, Miss Church, doing something that was really good, but just probably wasn't what was best? That is exactly what Paul is, or the author of Hebrews, I should say, is concerned about. Look, there are so many things over the past two years that have pulled at our ability to really be together. If you're immunocompromised, it was really hard to come to a church and sing and to be this close together. Uh, if you were caring for somebody who was immunocompromised, there was a good reason to separate. Uh, we had people who had significant mask fatigue, simply exhausted by being in a mask all day and on their weekend, they didn't want to put it on. I understand that. Uh, we have people who didn't want to drive to church in the evening. We have people who found that Rolling Hills had been really close to where they lived, but here we are now at St. Andrews. That's a lot farther. They found the drive to be a challenge. Uh, we had people who didn't like driving, uh, driving that sort of distance. And we found that a lot of these answers, they're really valid. They're really real. And I think every one of us has felt them, and every one of us has used these reasons at some point. And so one of the things that Garrick and I began talking about with church is that we said to ourselves, it feels like if you used to go to church four times a month, now you go three if you used to go three times a month, now you go two. If you used to go two times a month, now you go one. And if you made it once a month, well, you just don't go to church anymore. Everybody simply attended church less. And so since so many of these things are coming to an end, it's worth celebrating and kind of recommitting ourselves to this next chapter. It's because of the fact that we've been pulled apart for so long that it's worth celebrating that COVID's on the decline. It's because of the fact that we've been separated by mass that we should celebrate that now it's an optional scenario and we can step into that. It's because of that that we're actively praying that God would give us a chance to have Sunday morning services somewhere so that they're easier to attend. It's because of all of these things that we should celebrate the barriers that have stood between us and pray that God would remove the next ones as they exist because you and I are meant to do this life together. And since we're now moving into a season where it's more possible to do that, you and I need to commit ourselves to actually being a part of that. Let me try to bring this home for us. What I can promise you is that there's always going to be a reason not to come to church. Always. And that's for very practical reasons, but tying back into a sermon I did a couple weeks ago, it's also because we are opposed by an enemy. It is always going to be the sin, the flesh, and the devil that wants us to be more isolated than we are. It always wants us to be less connected from scriptures. And so you and I always have to fight those instincts because ultimately we are meant to be together. Second of all, this is a season for us to commit ourselves to this body again and to kind of give ourselves because we need to remind again that church matters, that we not give up meeting together because we know that there is more challenges coming and that unless we face them together, we'll oftentimes be defeated alone. And so today is being together. It is celebrating that God is giving us a chance to, to be together and it's moving forward together so that God can truly build something great here in our church. And when I say build something great, I'm not thinking size. I'm not worried about the size the coastline's going to be. 
when I say something great, what I mean is that we be a community of deep relationships, that we be a community of deep love, that we be a community of deep worship and deep commitment to the scriptures and the faith. And if we do those things, then let Coastline be whatever size that God's going to be. Because whenever we're here, it's going to be good. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that um, you have walked with us and you have been so faithful. And Lord, this next season, we don't know exactly what it's going to have. We do not know the challenges that this year are going to bring. We don't know the challenges that are going to happen corporately or in the county of Los Angeles or in the state, in our own homes, with our own children, in our own marriages. Lord, we cannot see it. But Lord, we want to ask that in every time a challenge comes, Lord, that you would draw us back towards one another and back towards you. Lord, would you keep us from hiding, keep us from concealing, keep us from trying to put on that great PV face of everything is great and nothing is bad, Lord, would you keep us from that sort of temptation that the South Bay has? And it said, draw us together as we truly are into true relationships connected deeply in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.